We're going to be talking about this series, God of Light. And so last week we did our relationship with God, like Pastor Susie said. But this week we're going to be doing our relationship with the church. I'm, going to, I'm using this for the first time. Woo fancy. Does it up on the side? Oh, look at that. Turns on. Uh-huh. All right, so we're going to be talking about relating to the church, which is our relationships with people within these walls. And next week, we're going to be doing our relationships with people outside of these walls. Um, and so it's kind of this, this love and light that flows outward, something that we receive and that flows like a river outward from us. And so this is like, I mean, I'm really excited to give this topic today because I could talk about it for a really long time. It's interesting when you read 1 John as well because the author seems to want to talk about it forever too. He's like, and love, and abiding in love, and loving your brother, and loving, and then like he goes on, and then he'll like briefly take a moment like on a tangent somewhere else, and then he's back to it, and he's like, and love, and love, and like everybody loves love, right? We all love love. Like that word, like everybody wants to be in love. We want to find like loving relationships. We want to have a life that's marked by love. We want people to remember us as a loving person. Like love is a very hot topic word. But it's also very distorted in our culture, too. So what we think is love is defined by the way we grow up, our relationship with our parents, our relationship with our peers. Um, It's also defined by the media, whatever we were allowed to watch and influence our lives as we were growing up as well. Whatever we watch now also influences our expectations of love. You know, what am I supposed to do in order to love someone? Am I supposed to buy, you know, am I supposed to buy someone flowers and that shows my love? Or am I supposed to um, be very quiet and listen to them while they, like, they share their life story? Or am I supposed to challenge them and help them grow? All of those things are love, but not all of those things are things that we see every day in portrayals of love, in advertisements or in movies or, um, yeah, in books even. Right? And so we need to have our minds renewed by what love actually looks like. And that's why 1 John is so important. Because it gives us this idea of like what love is actually supposed to look like and how we're supposed to apply it to our lives. So we're going to get right into it from the first verse. Verse 11, it says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Right here, the author just starts off by saying, look, love is the goal. It's the beginning. It's the end. Everything is about love. This is where we start. This is where we want to be. But it's interesting that he has to tell you this, right? Because even though it is the beginning and the start of where we have relationship with people, where we have relationship with God, it's also a place where we often wander from, right? So he has to tell us this because he needs to remind us of the fact that love is the goal. Love is the place that you need to be starting from. And so even in the Christian faith, when you first come into a Christian community, one of the first things you'll hear is like, man, Jesus loves you so much. God loves you so much. You know, like Jesus died on a cross because he loved you. And that's the first thing we hear, the beginning of all things. But sometimes down the road of our relationship, in the church or with people, we forget, like, what love is or what Christ's love is. So then we get to verse 12. And here's kind of like the root of the matter. This is why we forget. Way back into Genesis, verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? 
because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. That's my little commentary right there. Ooh, envy. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you, right? So what he's saying is like, if you have something good that other people don't have, they're going to be jealous of you. They're going to be envious and they might hate you for loving in a radical way, right? But the problem in this Genesis story is that something has interrupted loving radically, right? It's called sin, right? It's a big problem, right? And if we were to define sin simply, if I can just give an easy definition for sin, I'm not going to call it like wrongdoing or like the things that you should be punished for, disciplined for, although those, that's true because God is just. But let's describe sin as not walking in the character of God. So sin is everything that separates you and removes you from God. God is perfect. He is a perfect relational, you know, triune God. There's like perfect love between the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father, right? And then they have a way of living life that is perfect, that brings life, that like is eternally loving and the moment we choose not to walk in the way that they've set for life and love is the moment that we set ourselves on a path to be hurt it's the moment we set ourselves on a path for disappointment that that in itself is sin when we say okay i'm not going to do it in your way i'm going to do it in my way and then we start living outside of the character of god problems start to happen does that make sense okay so, we know, did it, did it change? Yes, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is strong language. I don't think you've ever thought of yourself as a murderer, right? I know I haven't thought of myself as a murderer, that is not a daily, like, thought that I have, like, you know. <laughs> um, if we have, like, the word murderer in our vocabulary, it's because we did something really well. Like, I murdered that, you know, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right? We've kind of turned it into some kind of positive language, but that's not the case. Um, here, he's being very serious. He's saying that if you fail to love someone, you're actually killing them. Like, when you fail to love someone you're causing like little deaths inside of them to take place, right? And like, that's kind of scary that like my, my words, my actions, like has power and influence to either build someone up in love and bring them life or slowly cause them to die inside and tear them down, right? And so let's break this down. In a, in a broad scale, we know that like murder itself is wrong, Right? And in the Ten Commandments, Jesus presents, like, if you're going to love, have loving relationships, then you're not going to murder. And actually, you probably know this. Maybe you don't. I, I learned it recently. <laughs> the Ten Commandments are split into two parts. It's the first five are about loving God, and the second five are about loving people. So it's a bunch of do not, do not, do not. But it's all because if you do these things, you'll break your love with God. And if you do the second half of things, you'll break your love with people, like you'll break trust, right? So murder is one of those things that would definitely break your love with people. You definitely break trust with the people around you, right? But it's really just the very basic beginning of an action that flows out of a heart posture. 
And that becomes clear when Jesus comes onto the scene in the New Testament. And he starts saying, like, if you hate someone in your heart, then you're actually, like, murdering them. You're, you're sinning against them in that strong a way. It's, he's all about heart posture. Matthew 5, 21, he says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. All right? So anger, that, that kind of makes sense. Like, we don't think anger is good either. Right? We don't really want to be the, the, you know, the brunt of someone's anger, nor do we want to, like, show anger to other people. But then he says, and whoever says to his brother, empty head. I, like, I put this on a thing for you. Empty head. Is, there's actually a word that's, like, written in my Bible. It was, like, raka, but that's what it means. Shall be in danger of the council. And then, whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I often told my brother when he did something stupid, why did you do that? You're so stupid, you know? Or like, what the heck are you doing? Like, you're so foolish. Like, we, we casually say those things all the time, right? We tease each other like that an awful lot. But what it's saying here is like, you're actually hating your brother by doing that. There's a, I mean... And there's a gray area of where it can be done in love and where it can't be done in love. But, <laughs> I mean, like, you'll have to figure it out by yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit where that line is. Okay? But if I can even as so casually say to someone, like, oh, you're so stupid. What were you thinking? Immediately, I've placed myself on a pedestal above that person. I've now said, I am better than you are. And that is the exact opposite of love. The exact opposite of love. And what we'll see as we kind of go through this passage is what's highlighted is that love is actually setting yourself below someone to build them up. It's actually serving someone to raise them up. And so when you set yourself higher by making a judgment or a criticism about someone, even if it's offhand, you're slowly causing a part of their identity to change. You're slowly causing a part of them to die. And Jesus is like, this is not okay. Like, always, in every way, love your neighbor. And there are other kind of synonyms that kind of run in this same vein. So I'm going to put them on the screen. So here we have contempt, derision, disgust, resentment, arrogance. There's a, there's a bunch of them there. Bitterness, criticism. All of these things are born out of, like, some form of hatred. Some form of, like, looking down upon someone from where you're standing, right? So we may, like, if we're disgusted at someone, like, oh, like, all right, I'll be honest, you know, like, on the subway. And then suddenly some Ajashi's like, and like, you know, and I'm like, seriously, you know, like, so uncultured. Like, how could you do that? Like, Right? But immediately, I've actually set myself on a pedestal based on my own upbringing, where I've come from, considering my past to be better than what they've been through. And yes, society has standards for what is polite, what's loving to one another, what's cleanly, you know. (laughs) That's kind of not so sanitary. But 
even though like there are those kinds of standards, still the moment that I look at that person and judge who they are by what they just did, now like I've now just hated them. I've technically murdered them in my heart. The same thing goes for any of these. Whenever you hold on to bitterness to someone, like someone has done something that's wronged you, and then you hold on to it for a really long time, that also is unloving because now you're holding them in the, in the grip of your unforgiveness so they can't live and be fully free who they are. Like you can't recognize who they really are in Christ as long as you're holding them in the grip of bitterness, right? So they're not able fully to like, expand and be a blessing to you and like you're not also able to grow as a person and receive from them in a relationship in a loving relationship so like i mean we could go through all of these that i'm not going to but like as soon as you see this list i'm sure there's something that jumps out to you like oh that's me that's definitely the one that i struggle with for me it's arrogance you know like i struggle with kind of like thinking that i'm always right and thinking that I know how to do things. And I've become keenly aware of this since I started dating. <laughs> yeah, I started dating about four months ago. And then every time I like have an argument with my boyfriend, it's usually because I think I'm right. And I think he's wrong. <laughs> and my way is the better way and his way is the wrong way. <laughs> but I got confronted about this by the Holy Spirit about a week ago. <laughs> Maybe it's because I had to preach this sermon. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Holy Spirit was very clearly like, you can't hold him in contempt like that. He does things differently. Different is okay. And, like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> it'll, it'll take some getting used to, but different is okay, right? But so now I'm like, I'm trying to learn to honor differences and to like honor the way he does things and not insist on my way. But just saying that's the one that I struggle with the most is arrogance. And so I'm sure something has jumped out at you that I want to highlight three more that are things that we might not consider hating someone, but actually are. And they are apathy, indifference, and fear. Mm-hmm. That's because... Apathy means you feel nothing towards someone. You're not even willing to care about that person, right? So that, like, starting from there, like, if you're not willing to care about someone, it's like, it's like leaving a plant unwatered. I mean, that's the simplest example I can give. Like, you have a plant, but you're like, ah, I don't care if it grows or not. Or you buy the plant because it looks pretty from the start. You know, like, it's like a cute little sunflower, and you're like, ah this in my house and then and then you stop watering it because you're like i can't be bothered Eh, it'll it'll just be fine it's got sunlight you know and you stop being intentional with it right you stop like caring about it and then it suddenly dies it's the same result as the other ones right a lack of care indifference same thing fear fear though is really really serious And very, very key to our discussion. Because in the next chapter, and we're not reading that today, but it says there's no fear in love. It's a verse that we all all know, that like perfect love casts out all fear. There's no fear in love. But like, why is that? Like what, how does that work? Have you ever been in a situation where you were actually like afraid to approach someone because you were afraid of how you're being perceived? 
afraid that you would be rejected, afraid to confront someone about something because you thought they would abandon you. You know, we all struggle with these deep-seated fears of breaking relationship. It actually, no matter what your fear is, if it's rejection or if it's abandonment or even like self-rejection, at the end of the day, it boils down to something in me will cause this relationship to break and then I'll be on my own or then I won't have friends or I won't, I won't have people who love me, right? And we're actually all deeply afraid of being out of relationship. Why? Because we were designed for relationship with one another. We were created to just be intimately connected and full of life in a relationship with one another. And so fear, the moment we have fear, it just it cuts all of that off. You're, you could have an opportunity to grow in love with someone and actually find out that that peculiarity of your personality doesn't bother them. Or that, you know, the thing that you did that made them angry, they can get over. And you have an opportunity to receive grace, to receive love, to be built up in life, but fear just cuts it off. And so fear, like, is one of, like, the greatest obstacles to love. It's one of the greatest obstacles to love, and it's actually something that we have to be very... I mean, not have to be, but it's important to be aware of, to identify, oh, right now, I'm acting out of fear. I wonder what would happen if I recognized that fear is not love and that love can actually has more power over the situation if I choose to walk in love. Yeah. Now, another thing that we're going to talk about is pride. (laughs) Woo. Yeah. Okay. This is the root of a lot of relationship problems. Whether you think you are a prideful person or not, you are. Just letting you know. Okay? Because pride is kind of a self-protection mechanism. Every single person is involved in their own interests, their own desires, their own goals. You know, the things that they care about in priority to other people just in different ways. Okay, so I got this from John Piper, this example that I'm about to share with you. And he's a very good illustrator, so it's going to be good. And so on one end of a spectrum, you have someone who is prideful because they're self-sufficient. That means they don't need people at all. Or they think they don't need people. They've They've got it on their own. They can do the project on their own. They, can, they, they love spending time with themselves, you know, taking their vacation by themselves. I'm not bashing you introverts because I like doing that too. But like, this, I used to be this person. That's why, that's why this is very important to me. Because I used to be this self-sufficient person that like anyone who's like, hey, uh, do you need help with that? I'd be like, no, I got it. It's good. Like, oh, hey, like, do you want to hang out? Like, oh, no, I think I'm just going to go home. Like... <laughs> I was always that person, always like kind of doing it on my own way. And I took great, secretly, I took great satisfaction out of that. Yeah, I did this all by myself. Yeah, I'm completely fine all by myself. Somehow that brought me this sense of like, of competence. Like I am in control and I know what I'm doing. Therefore, I can be respected by other people. Therefore, I can earn the love of other people because I'm so highly competent. And so that's one way that self-sufficiency can look like. Although self-sufficiency can also be, I'm going to do everything by myself because I don't trust anybody in the world. Like, and so that's another end of that spectrum. And then on the 
The other side, you have people who are self-preoccupied, self-preoccupation. That means they actually desperately seek relationships. They want to be involved in relationships with people. But as soon as something happens that breaks that relationship or where they feel ignored or they feel like they weren't heard, then they suddenly turn on themselves and it's kind of like a pity party. And they blame others. Like, how could you leave me like this? Like, why weren't you paying attention to me? And this kind of, ooh, this kind of like, like, you know, like, why am I alone? When really, it might just be a brief moment. Like, it might not even be a pattern in that friendship. But suddenly, like, oh, man, like, woe is me. Woe is me. I have no friends. Nobody likes me. You know, I'm all alone. That, that's the opposite side of the spectrum. And those are two extremes self-sufficiency, and then self-preoccupation. But all of us, we're on some point of those extremes, moving towards a balance. And the good news is that there is a balance, right? Which is Christ-likeness. But we're all moving into a place of healing, moving into a place of balance where we're not living in this place of self-sufficiency because people need people. That's the way we're designed. People need people. And then we're also not wholly dependent upon people, but we know our value, whether someone calls us up every night or not, right? So we're moving along on this spectrum. And like I said, the balance is actually Christ-likeness. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to turn this page. Mm -hmm. So we're actually going to backtrack just a little bit to verse 10, which says, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, basically saying, not one of us is righteous. It's one, we don't do things right all the time. We're not perfect people, but we also fail to love our brother quite frequently. So, very clear, like every single person in this room, including myself, is implicated by this sentence. But, Jesus was righteous. He lived a perfect life. And on top of that, he was also perfect love. Fully God, perfect love, in a perfect loving relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's perfect love. And so he is the exact picture of what growing in love looks like. He is the exact picture of what it looks like to demonstrate love towards others. If we study the life of Jesus, then that's all we need to learn how to love, how to get out of our own dysfunctional mess of our backgrounds and of media and all the things that change the way we see love and into a righteous love that brings life. And so, how does Jesus do this? What is his secret to loving people well? The simple fact is that it's humility. That true love is actually humility. And not in the way that you're, what is that? Is that verse 20, what? 20... Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, humility, where he's not like looking down on himself. Like he's fully God. He has absolutely no reason to look down on himself. He knows who he is. He knows where he's come from. He's intentionally come to earth with us, these like low functioning, like malfunctioning beings. <laughs> And he willingly dwells with us here to love us and to teach us how to love, right? So humility is not like degrading yourself in any way, but actually like loving other people more than yourself. 
Not that you don't love yourself, is that you, you value and you choose to treasure others. And so, verse 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So, if you know the story of Jesus Christ, is that he paid the ultimate cost, is that he died on a cross for our sins, it took all the blame, fulfilled the punishment, and then he rose again so that we could walk in freedom and perfect relationship with the Father. Never to suffer our own separation. Never to suffer an eternity without God. So even to this extent, he bowed down low. He was a servant to all. He chose to make himself nothing so that we could become something great. That he could redeem us. Right? It's pretty amazing. Pretty, pretty amazing. But the thing is, it's not just Jesus who's called to do that. He's not the only person who's called to live our lives, bow down low to serve others and to lift them up. For John 13, 34 to 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Mm. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. It's not like, love one another, sort of, kind of. It's love one another exactly as I have loved you. Now, obviously, we're not going to hit the mark. Like, we're going to mess up. But that is to say there is a mark. There is a mark. And First John is like, as we go through this chapter, we're slowly learning what the mark is. And because a lot of people especially like in, including myself, growing up, we don't have a mark. What is love? Love is just what I've experienced. So, you know, if I've experienced abusive relationships or if I've experienced like peer pressure or unsupportive relationships, if I experienced abandonment or rejection, then my standard of love, what the mark is to love people is not that high, not that life-giving. Then some people who maybe have had more loving parents or more loving experiences, their standard is higher. But for all of us, our standard could be higher. And so the, the like, word of God actually gives us this standard, like this is what you get to live up to. And yes, you're not there yet, but at least you need to set your eyes here. Yes. And so verse 23, it's already up there. Um, in chapter 3 says, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. So this is a direct flashback to John chapter 13. Where like it's talking about abiding in the Father and like loving one another. That the first commandment is to love God and the second commandment is to love your neighbor. It's the whole ten commandments summed up in two lines. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. But I want to highlight what loving your neighbor as yourself means. And I will get to that in just a second. We just keep that like, you know. Tuck it away back here, and then we're going to bring it out later. Okay, so if you are on this side of the spectrum, or this side of the spectrum, and you want to move towards loving each other and God, 
Here is a question that you can kind of ask yourself. Or do you think like this? I don't naturally look for close relationships where I can love and be loved, but I want to grow in this area with you. Would you help me? This is for the person who struggles to make connections with people, right? So this is the way we can kind of think about it. You know what? I don't naturally look for close relationships, but I need to. I recognize that. I want to. And then for the other person, I know that others need true friends as I do, and I would like to try to be one without thinking about myself and my needs so much, right? May I be your friend? So these are like two ways of like changing your perspective. It's that, as you can see, both of them are an outward focus. Now, executing this, if we're going to go to scripture, looks pretty crazy. Yeah. I'll just read a couple of these. Number one, we are individually members of one another. That means we're basically the same body. If I'm not taking care of you, I'm not taking care of myself. Number two, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Pursue what makes for upbuilding one another. Instruct one another. Have the same care for one another. Through love, serve one another. Bear one another's burdens with patience. Endure one another in love. Be kind to one another. And it goes on. But then we all, that's just Paul. Then we have Hebrews and James and Peter. And they add their own voice. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Do not speak evil against one another. It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff. A lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. I don't think any of us can walk around with even like three of these in our head in one day, to be honest. (laughs) To grow in these, we actually need to like meditate on these, like one day at a time. Like, I'm not trying to give you a laundry list of things to do. It could be a good idea if you're taking love seriously to actually like take one of these and meditate on a day. Be like, today, God, I want to do this well. And the next day, meditate on a different one. Today, God, I want to do this well. But I want to kind of give us a practical way of, like, applying all of these different things in a less specific way that, like, we can't remember. So in two very simple steps, okay? Because none of us can keep up with this if we were to try to remember it all. Okay? The practical steps is first, meditate on Christ's love. Okay? First, you have to know what Christ's love is, which is what we've already talked about, Jesus dying on a cross, humbling himself, bringing himself low, right? But then be self-encouraging. And so earlier I told you to tuck away that little tidbit of loving your neighbor as yourself. This does not mean love yourself first or consume your time with loving yourself or taking care of like your own needs or your own world. This means know who you are in Christ's love. So like, you know, like, I, there's, I see a lot on Instagram and Facebook of people saying like, oh, I, like, I just need my, like, you know, like, I just need to treat myself. Gotta treat myself. And like, you know, I gotta just like take care of myself. Gotta love myself. Because then if I love myself better, I'll be able to love other people better. No, wrong. If you, if you constantly treat yourself and take care of yourself, you're just being selfish. Like, nobody's going to be loved if you do that. And that doesn't mean you're not supposed to take care of yourself. You are supposed to honor 
your body. Honor, like, who you are. But this comes in a perspective of not that, like, I need, like, more of things and I need more of, of people in order for me to be okay. But I know I'm okay because I have a God who loves me unconditionally. I know I'm okay because there's someone who's always by my side through every circumstance. Like, I know that I'm loved no matter what at all times. And this is, like, kind of like what love yourself means. Like, know that you are loved by God. Know that you are loved by God. And when you are not feeling loved, when you're not feeling full of the power of love, to encourage yourself and remind yourself, oh, like, no, God, like, God is the one who's loved me first, and there are other people in this world who love me. That self-encouragement based on the gospel of what Christ has already done for you. But then the other part, so that's like, we're loving others as we love ourselves, right? So we're encouraging ourselves in the gospel, what the gospel says about me. And then we're celebrating others by what the gospel says about them. This is the key to Christian community, is celebration. Because in Christianity, so many people come from different backgrounds, from different walks of life, with different opinions, with different tolerances of what's right and wrong. Like, there's so many different beliefs that we come into Christianity with based on our upbringing. And on top of that, so many different personalities as well. Right? So each person is unique, and then there's this diversity of the way we walk. And so if we don't have the ability to celebrate people where they are, then we ultimately won't be able to love them. So celebrating just simply comes from the fact of, like, you were also chosen and loved by God. Whenever I look at the person, no matter how much they get on my nerves, no matter how much I am, like, so, like, done with them you know the sandpaper people who rub you the wrong way you know no matter how much i think i'm done with them is first recognizing this person is unique designed by god and loved by god and they're in this family with me and then from that place knowing that i'm valued in the gospel so they also are valued in the gospel then i begin to celebrate what's unique about them i find the things to appreciate about them so even if they're like in like 99 ways they rub me the wrong way there's got to be at least one way that i can be thankful for them and appreciate their differences right and so this is how we live in a community of love is one recognizing who i am in the gospel Two, recognizing who you are in the gospel and choosing to live out of that place, choosing to celebrate one another in love. And this is what creates a, like a prospering community that other people go, what? How, how do so many different people like, love each other so well? How do so many people like, form family? How do so many people walk in so much joy? It's because we know how to celebrate what God is doing. Not... Like, yes, what he has done in saving us, but what he's doing right now and continuing to save us and redeem us, continuing to knit us together in love as one body. Now, sounds great, but there's always a but. It's not easy. (laughs) I've said that probably five times already. But we want to recognize that we are loved in the gospel We want to recognize others as being loved in the gospel and to live love. But we often will come up short. And that's because there's only one person 
who can love perfectly? Yeah, Christ. And only one person who we have intimate relationship with who can represent Christ and teach us the ways of Christ, and that is Holy Spirit. So we have to be empowered by the Spirit in order to love well. doesn't matter how much I want to love my neighbor well. If I don't have Christ, if I don't have the Holy Spirit, I will be unable to love them well. So verse 17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's really tough, right? This is an actual, like, action of love that Holy Spirit is, like, going to ask us to do. It's to actually give up, like, worldly goods. It's a big step. It's impossible for most of us. But he gives a strong, like, like I guess, reprimand after verse 17, saying, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So he's just saying, you can't just say that you love someone. You can't just encourage someone. Your life, your actions have to follow through on what you're saying. They have to follow through on what you're saying. And the only way to do that is by the Holy Spirit. Because actions are very difficult because they're costly. Very costly. Christ paid the ultimate cost when he died on the cross. He ultimately went through the most like trial and tribulation in order to love well. And most of us will never have to pay a cost like that. But still, there are steps that we can take every day that will be costly. We can actually, a better way to think of them is inconveniences. In order to love well, you will be inconvenienced. Like it's just because it means denying yourself. If you deny yourself, it's uncomfortable. And it's just not convenient. It's not easy. So if you make, like, if you were to make a commitment today to say, Lord, today I will let you inconvenience me at least once for me to love someone well, he will take you up on that offer. For sure. Be prepared to be annoyed, frustrated, set back on your schedule, (laughs) wondering why you're doing what you're doing at the current moment. But you'll be surprised that when you recognize that the inconvenience is for love, you're being inconvenienced as an opportunity to love someone else, you'll actually see God come into the situation and breathe life. You'll see him encounter someone, and you in turn will also be transformed by watching God encounter someone. So I think it's a really practical way. It's like, yes, love is costly, and yes, we need to love indeed and truth, but we can start by asking Holy Spirit, inconvenience, inconvenience me just one way today. Just one way today so that I can love someone well. Now, John, is that, sorry, my glasses, John fifteen twelve, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What we've been talking about, right? Now, this one, John four twenty three, is when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. He says, the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. We know that loving people is a sign of worship to God, right? And then I made this crazy connection. It was pretty early in the morning. And so I don't know if you're going to get it, but it made a lot of sense to me at the time, okay? This says here to worship people in spirit and truth. And we just read a verse from 1 John that says to love people in deed 
as well as your talk, right? Okay, so if you're following me, truth, the, like what we know is true, the knowledge, what we say to each other as love, those good things, like truth is in the Bible and is like a roadmap for us to follow love. But the deed, actually acting on it, is the hard part. So we need not just the truth, but Holy Spirit to guide us into the deeds of that truth as well. And so I was like, wow, spirit and truth and deed and like speech, like, oh my gosh, they're linked. Um, But if we want to love people well, deed can only come through the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of our heart and our head. The fact that our heart and our head, they don't always sync up together. It's the longest distance in the world. And so even though I can believe something in my mind and be convinced of it in my mind, unless I'm asking Holy Spirit to make it alive in my heart, no fruit will ever come from it. I won't ever see it manifest in my life. And so the step to actually being fruitful in love is to one, Understand the truth of who I am in Christ. Understand the truth of who you are in Christ. Meditate on the cross. But then to be constantly asking Holy Spirit to renew my heart. To make the things that I know a reality. To ask him to partner with me. To create space in my life. Those inconveniences where he can move and teach me and show me. And that's basically all I have to say today. But we'll go through like a little review. Okay. Love is the goal. Right? Love is good. It's all we need. It's the beginning place and where we want to end up. Like by the end of our life, we want to be better lovers than when we started. But we all fall short in sin. So none of us have an easy path to getting to love. We all have our own obstacles. We all have our own vices, our own selfishness that we have to overcome. But if we look to Christ as the perfect example, we have our roadmap. We know exactly what it's supposed to look like. In order to walk in the example of Christ, we need to understand, meditate on God's word and God's love for other people and his love for us so that we can value each other, celebrate one another, but ultimately to act out in that value, to act out in that celebration, to live out lives that are full of the fruitfulness of this truth we have to ask Holy Spirit to help us pay the cost. Because without him, we can't do it on our own. And by doing that, by being in the place of loving one another, celebrating one another, recognizing that the cost has given us all, or the cross, sorry, cross has given us all value, we will be able to live lives like Christ that ultimately build up the church and exemplify love to one another. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the God who paid the greatest cost for us to come into a relationship with you. We thank you that you saw us as treasures to be had and to spend time with, even when we were far from you and considered ourselves of no value, God. We thank you that even in the place of our sin and being apart from you, you chose to draw us close and to crown us, God with your love and affections. And Father, we pray that in this house, God, and in our lives, that we would be people who learn how to crown others with our affections, that we learn how to treasure others the way that you've treasured us, that we would be able to love and serve one another in a costly way that brings joy and fulfillment into each of our lives. 
God, we recognize that we're not able to do it on our own, but it comes through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so today, God, would you renew the grace in us to love well and teach us daily, God, how to uphold your truth in word and in deed by your word and your spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.